So pastor asked me uh, this evening to, uh, um, over the next, um, this week and not next week, but the following week, so two weeks, um, if, if I would share some of the things that, you know, he and I talk about, some of the things that we talk about in offering. And, um, and one of the things he said is, you know, if you have anything on vision. And, uh, um, you know, if, if you have anything on vision, that would be good to share. And, and so, you know, there's, there's two ways to look at vision. One is, um, like the church's vision, as long as I've known when Pastor Mark came and took over, um, he had this vision that everybody in their place possess our land and see the glory of God. And that's a three-part vision. It's like a three-legged stool. You take one away, and the stool won't stand. If, if you take... Um, Everybody, if, if nobody's in their place, we won't see the glory of God and we won't possess our land. And, um, you know, if we're not seeing the glory of God, people are going to get bored and leave, you know? They're not going to stay in their place. And so that's, that's the vision of the church. And you could say, okay, a goal of that is we want 75% of our members to be doing something in the body other than just attending because we know God has a place for you here. And so if you're not in your place and you're just wandering around, you're not doing everything that God wants you to do so, um, or has you to do. And, uh, and, you know, there's a blessing attached to that. There's a, a great blessing attached to that. So, um, but I want to talk uh, another thing about vision or another aspect of vision, I should say, is the Hebrew definition. So we're going to talk about the Hebrew definition of vision, which is a little different. Um, than a, you know, a business, uh, a business, a vision for your business or, or that. But so we're going to look at that. And the next thing over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the blessing, the blessing. God has commanded a, ble- on a blessing on you. And um, there's all throughout the Bible, it talks about the blessing. God has commanded a blessing on you. And um, so Christians, I found this should be true with Christians. And uh, you may believe it, you may not. Christians take the word of God two ways. They take it as the absolute truth or they take it with a grain of salt. The absolute truth or you take it with a grain of salt. A grain of salt means I agree with it with a little bit of skepticism. I'll accept it with a little bit of skepticism. So I encourage you when we, we, when we read these scriptures that you take it as the absolute truth. If Numbers says a donkey talked to Balaam, a donkey talked to Balaam. And you know what? If, if God can't use you, just like he said with, uh, when Jesus, when, when the Pharisees tell, said, tell your disciples and all these people to shut up, he said, if they didn't praise me, the rocks would cry out. If Jesus said the rocks are going to cry out, they'll cry out. And so I encourage you, write the scriptures down and um, take them home and read it if you don't believe it. And get to and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and read it until you believe it and keep reading it until you believe it and keep reading it until it becomes the absolute truth and you're not looking at it with a degree of septus or uh, with a grain of salt you're not taking it with a grain of salt, amen. So we're going to talk about vision. We're going to talk about the blessing that God has commanded on your life, and um, as Pastor Mark's been talking about, he's been talking about your turning point. Well, when the blessing of God comes upon your life. It's your turning point. It is a turning point. When the blessing of God comes on your life, it is a turning point. And so we're going to talk about your turning point. And then we're going to 
talk about restore. We're going to say restore, and we're going to declare restore. And whether you have losses from the pandemic, losses from inflation, um, bad investments, bad business decisions, just bad losses altogether, bad relationships, we're going to call them um, restored. We're going to call them destroyed. And we're going to stand on the word because God said that he will restore. And so we're going to stand. We're going to take him for his word. We're going to take God at his word. And that's what looking at the Bible is the absolute truth is, is taking God for his word. Um, And so so vision. I'm going to read the Hebrew definition of vision. And if you look up, if, if you Google the Hebrew definition of vision, it shows it in the Hebrew like alphabet, and it's a whole bunch of scribbles, and so you can't really understand it, so you gotta like dig a little deeper. And so here's the, the definition, it's four parts. It's number one, a vivid mental image. That's what vision is, a vivid mental image. Number two, the ability to see, it's the visual faculty. And number three, it's the perceptual experience of seeing. It's experiencing something in your mind before it happens. And number four, it's the formation of a mental image of something that is not perceived as real and is not present to the senses. In other words, you don't have to see it. You don't have to see it to believe it. If you see it in your mind, you don't have to physically see it. You don't have to physically smell, taste, touch it, or hear it in order for it to be true. And so... um, To paraphrase, it's a mental image, a picture in your mind. God has given us the ability to see the mental image. We're made in his likeness. Remember Abraham. We'll we'll talk about this a few different times. He kept telling Abraham, you know, if you don't believe me that your descendants are going to be the dust as the the number of the stars in the sky, and you you think you're too old to have a kid, go out and look at the stars and start counting the stars because that's how many kids you're going to have. That's your descendants. And... um, and so it's, God has given us the ability to see the mental image. We're made in his likeness. And then um, third, we can experience the same feeling seeing the vision, the mental image, as the actual event. You know, so when they interviewed, um, years ago, they interviewed Tiger Woods and, and, uh, and John Daly. And so they interviewed him right at the same time. Both are professional golfers, if you don't know. John Daly, um, he wasn't quite as committed as Tiger Woods, um, he liked to drink a lot. And so um, Tiger would, he, he would watch his swing, his golf swing over and over and over. And he'd fix it until what, there was no variation, absolute no variation. It was perfect every time. And, and John Daly, at the same time, had several coaches and they couldn't stay with him because he varied so much. One day it was this way, one, another day it was this way. It wasn't consistent. And so, um, but Tiger said from a young age, his dad would make him visualize if he was putting. His dad would make him visualize the putt going in before he ever putted. And and he learned that he could do that in a split second. When he's, before he, in, in a tournament, you know, he'd done it so many times that he could look at a putt and then that fast, his mind would, he would, his, he would paint a picture of his mind of the putt going in that fast, a split second. And his, his success speaks for itself, right? 
And, but that's how quick your mind is over the actual physical thing, is your mind can do it so quick. And quicker, way, way, way quicker than you can physically do it. And so that's what vision is, is capturing that, that moment in your mind before it ever happens. And, and athletes do that all the time. I mean, um, and, you know, even golfers, there's a tournament on today, and you can see them studying where the pin is. They're asking their caddy how the green slopes, and they visualize the shot before they ever take it. And obviously, it's advantageous. Um, and then um, the fourth thing about it is they see and feel the outcome before it happens. They see and feel the outcome before it happens. And you know, that's positive or negative. So many people now, they see the outcome, but they see a totally different outcome. They see, it was Tiger and John Daly. They saw two different outcomes. Um, Tiger would see himself winning every single week. And he always saw himself winning. And so you can look at, um, you can feel the outcome that, oh, here we go again. And that's what happened. Um, um, I'm trying to think of his name. Um, he's a golfer, Greg Norman. And, and Greg Norman, he was a great golfer, but he's known for choking, choking in big tournaments. He lost by six strokes in the Masters one time. He was ahead by six strokes the last day and lost. And so he, but he's a great golfer, but he would be so hard on himself that he would start painting this mental image before it ever happened. Oh, here we go again. Oh, here we go again. And you can't come back from that, you know? You just cannot come back with that unless you change that mental image. And, um, and so, um, so God says that, you know what? He, he says, I, I'm able. I'm able to do for you beyond what you can think, hope, or ask. So that's what he's telling us to do. He's telling us when we, to think, to hope, or, or to think and ask. To think and ask. He's telling us, get a, get a picture bigger than yourself and ask me about it. Get a picture, give it, get a vision, see an image bigger than yourself, and ask me about it. That's what he's saying. Um, because I bet for the most of us, we're probably talking too small. We're thinking too small. We're thinking something that's within our ability. And God says, man, get out of your own ability. Tap into my ability. And so, um, like I said, it can be positive or negative. Positive or negative. And in, in Romans 12, 2, it says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the world can paint a really negative picture. You watch the news every night, and it's pretty much a negative picture. It's a negative about the border. It's negative about the economy. It's never, there's never any good news that, hey, man, in this city, 15 people got saved or this person got ill. They're never going to say that because the world is negative. And they can paint some real negative pictures. So that's why the Bible says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't think like the world thinks. Don't, don't paint the same mental pictures that the world paint, um, paints. Because if you do that, you'll have what the world has. You will have what the world has. And so, my voice is a little screwy, but um, it says, <laughs> this is really funny, because I watched an episode of um, Friends the other day. Paige tells me I'm not supposed to talk. When I talked about office space this morning, she says, that's a pretty bold move, talking about office space in church. But um, there's this thing on Friends, and um, I think her name is Phoebe. Yeah, Phoebe had a cold, but she really liked her voice when she sang, because she can't. And so when the cold went away, she was bummed, so she kept, like, 
people that had colds, she would go take their napkins and put them in their pocket. So she would have this voice back. So not, not that I'm loving my voice right now. It's just, but um, let me have to grab water. <laughs> um, thanks. So, oh, you know, another great business movie we talked about, Tommy Boy. It's a classic. Man, we used to show it when we were in, in sales meetings and we had time. We'd show Tommy Boy. That would get you fired up to sell. <laughs> How to make a loser a winner. But um, <laughs> we have clips. No, not really. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, vision. Back to vision. So, um, <laughs> um, so when I, um, you know, I used to go to Denver every week and we'd have, uh, um, you know, beginning of the year planning meetings. You know, we'd pre- prepare, we'd plan for the, for the next year. And um, so I would um, sit all, I think at that time I had like six managers, six sales managers. They all different parts of the state. They each had six or seven salespeople underneath them. And, and I would tell them, you know, we'd sit together for these pre, pre-year planning meetings, and I'd say, um, you know, what's your goal? What's your goal for the year? And, you know, what do you see the beginning from the end? What's the end look like? What's the end of the year look like? And um, so, and I would say, you know, look at it like your income. What income do you want to make this year? And what's your income you want to be in? There would always be the person that said, well, I'm on salary. And then that would just trigger. Okay, you want to talk about that? You're going to limit yourself to your salary. God says, I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly above what you can ask or think. So, um, so they would say, you know, and I said, no limits, no limits. We'd have to take the limits off. So, um, you know, at the beginning of the year, what are your goals? And then, so we would take their business goals and they, they already knew pretty much what they were, but I wanted to get them thinking beyond what just the business was, what the nine to five was or whatever it is, and, and start thinking a little bit outside the box. And if, if you could do anything, if you could have anything, what, what would it be? One guy, um, he quit, but he started a hat company. And, you know, at that time, you know, hats were, were popular, but not as popular. Everybody has a hat now. And you have a hat that says anything. But, I mean, he made a ton of money. He found a, a, a company that made the hats, and then he got a really good embroidery company, a state-of-the-art embroidery thing that it was just like, it just happened. But it didn't just happen, you know. It, it was his vision, and it came to pass. And he saw it before, and it happened. And so he... He started this hat company, and he's made, you know, I'd have to say he's, it became his career, and it, he made multi-million dollars manufacturing hats, and it started with the vision. It just started with, man, you know, I don't like to sell windows. You know, people say no too many times. I want to do something that I love to do, and, and that's what he did, and, and it started with just a vision. It started with a mental image. And so we would sit down and we try to get people to think that way. And 
I can just say the one thing talking to you guys here is they had to do it because I made them and I was their boss and so I made them do it. I made them write it down. I made them write down their, their career goals, their income goals. I, I had them write down their personal goals and I, they didn't share them with me or anything, but I just said, you know, you know, people wrote down, I want to, my wife and I haven't been on a, on a cruise before, and I want to take her, I want to surprise her with a cruise. And, and so they'd write goals like that. And the thing was, is that, um, so they had to, because I made them, but you don't have to. You don't have to. I can't make you do it, but I can tell you this, at the end of the year, and at the next, before we plan for the next year, I, I would sit down and I would make them, you bring this. You bring your, you know, your journal, um, your notebook, whatever it was that you wrote those goals on, and you write them down, and, and if you're embarrassed about it, you don't have to say anything about it, but let's talk about it. And you'd be surprised how many people achieved goals, achieved their vision or their goal. You'd be surprised because they wrote it down, and when you write something down, you hold yourself accountable to it. So they, they wrote it down, they held it, it was something they believed in, and that was the only thing, you gotta believe in it, you know? If you don't, me saying I'm going to be a professional baseball player next year would be absolutely stupid, you know, and it's never going to come to pass, and I'd never believe in it. But there are things that um, income goals, giving goals, that I'm serious about, and, and I hold myself accountable to. And so those are some of the things that, um, you know, like I say, I can't make you do it, but I would encourage you to do it, and just see, just see what happens. Just see how faithful God is. So that's kind of the vision. We looked at um, Romans 12 too. We can be conformed to this world. The world is negative. And so you can, you can paint a mental picture of all the negative, or you can paint a picture of where you want to be this time next year. This is where I want to be. I, this is my turning point is this. And, and that's up to you. So um, we have to train our minds. Like I said before, you can look at the word as the absolute truth, or you can look at it and take it with a grain of salt. It's up to you, but you got to train your mind because if you don't train your mind to look at it as the absolute truth, you'll, go, you'll look at it with a degree of skepticism. That's just how the world works. That's how human nature is because we see it um, according to the fall. We see it, you know, as, after the fall, and God doesn't see it that way. He sees it through the blood. He sees it through the blood, so we need to look at it through the blood. Amen? And uh, so... Um, God started with, um, so just a couple examples here. You know, God started with Abraham. He said his name was Abram before he changed it to Abraham because Abram was getting too old and he started believing he'd never have a kid and he'd never have any descendants. So God said, you know what? I'm going to call you, I'm going to change your name to Abraham and Abraham means father of many. And so anytime somebody calls out your name, they're telling you, you're calling you father of many. So you're going to hear it day in, day out. A hundred times a day, you're going to hear, you're the father of many. So in Genesis 13, 14, and 16, it says, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look to the place where you are. He said, Look up from your situation now, north, south, east, and west. And in verse 15, it says, For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants. Not just you, your descendants. So he's telling him right then, from the very beginning, I'm not just giving this to you, I'm giving it to all your descendants too, before Abraham, Abraham ever had a kid. It's verse 16, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, 
so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. And by chapter 15, um, Abraham had forgot about it. He'd still be saying, Lord, what are you going to give me since I go childless? In verse 15, it says, he for, um, verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not... Um, <laughs> I looked at the clock. Um, <laughs> okay, where was I? He forgot about it. Oh, yeah. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Other translation says, I'm going to give you a great reward. And so, and Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? Then Abraham um, said, look, you have given me no offspring. Or I'm in uh, verse 3. Verse 5, then he brought, the Lord brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. So right there we see two times. First the Lord said, Go count the dust of the earth. Well, nobody could count that. I mean, you can't even count the dust on your um, coffee table, you know? And so he said, count the dust of the earth, and, um, and so shall your descendants be. And then he said, but, and then after that, after he told him that, took it with a grain of salt, a little skepticism. God takes him outside. And he goes, now start counting the stars. And if you can count the stars, you can count your descendants. And um, so finally, Abraham or Abram got it, and he believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. And every time, I believe, every time Abram lost sight of his vision, he would remind himself by taking, he would build himself up, he would take him outside, there's my descendants. This is my descendants. He'd blow the dust off the table. Those are all my descendants. Whatever he did. Then he said, he, in another place, he said, he's, he said, go count the sand in the sea. And if you can count the sand in the sea. And was God a liar? Look at right now. Everyone here. Every person that's saved here, every person that's ever been saved, every person that will be saved is a descendant of Abraham. God did not lie. God did not lie. He saw that before it ever happened. And um, so um, we need to train our minds. Um, and then another example that you all, you all are familiar with is Moses. Moses sent out 12 spies into the land of Egypt, right? Sent out 12 spies. Um, they all say this, saw the same thing. All 12 people, 12 of the, the guys that he sent out saw the same thing. A land flowing with milk and honey, the sweetest land they've ever seen. Um, it was absolutely amazing. Ten came back and saw themselves as grasshoppers, and the land would devour them. So let's not go there. I mean, it's a great land. It's beautiful, but we could never take it because we're just grasshoppers in their sight, and the land, will, the land itself will devour us. Joshua and Caleb saw themselves living in the land, conquering the giants, enjoying all the resources of the land. And the amazing thing about this story, both things happened. Both things happened. Joshua and Caleb went in. The other 10 spies were devoured. They didn't even make it there. They just got devoured before they ever went in. But both visions came to pass. Both visions came to pass. So I hope you get this, that if you look at it as a negative, it's going to come to pass. If you're going to look at it as the way God sees them, it's going to come to pass. So our choice. Our choice. Um, then we have... Pages always stick together here. Habakkuk tells us to write the vision. Play it out in your mind. Keep thinking about it. Create an image. 
create that go-to image just like God gave Abraham. So when you feel the, out is, the vision is out of reach or slipping away, you got to go to. you got to go to a place that I'm going to renew this vision. I'm going to get excited about it. And Habakkuk said that he who runs can run with it, can be excited about it, can take it and, and, uh, and, and go with it. So it will come. Habakkuk says it will come, though it tarries. Wait for it. It will come. It will not tarry. Don't lose sight of it. So that's a vision. And um, so the next thing we want to talk about is, um, so now we have a vision. We, we see the end from the beginning. You see 2023, um, you see what, what your end of 2023 is going to be like, right? You see, that's your vision. What, what does 2023 look like? Abraham Lincoln, I've said this before. He said, the best way uh, to predict your future is to create it. And, um, and so that's the vision. The next thing we're going to talk about is the blessing. God has commanded a blessing on your life. Deuteronomy 28.8 says, the Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses. First of all, it says on you, on you, in your storehouses and all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord God is giving you. And this is where most people take the word with a grain of salt. They don't take it as the absolute truth. Um, other places in the first of Deuteronomy, it says all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. They'll surround you, coming in, going out, um, blessed in the city, blessed in the country. They don't take it as the absolute truth. They don't see themselves the way God sees them with this covenant. And um, so um, Numbers um, in 22 and 23 tells that Balak, we talked about this a little bit Balak tried four times to get Balaam to curse Jacob. Four times, he offered him a house full of silver and gold. You just curse him. You just curse him. And so um, Balaam kept going back to God. And in Numbers 23, 19 and 20, he finally came back to him and said, God is, in Numbers 19, 20, 19 and 20, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have a, received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. God has commanded a blessing on your life. Whether you feel it, whether you taste it, whether you see it, God has commanded a blessing on your life. And nobody, all the demons in hell, cannot reverse the blessing on your life. The only person that can reverse the blessing on your life is you. If you don't believe it, you'll walk away from it. But if you believe it, there is a blessing surrounding you wherever you go. And in Galatians chapter 3, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse, having become a curse for us, that the blessing may come upon us through faith. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. And, you know, I was reading... Um, you know, you can read any of them, but in, in, in Luke, I just kind of finished reading that. And it said, just thinking about the cross before it happened, when, when Jesus was in the garden, he started sweating drops of blood. He, he, the, the pressure was so intense that he started sweating drops of blood. And doctors say that the only time that happens is when the anxiety is so great that blood vessels start to break. That's the intense pressure. And Jesus said two or three different times, God, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will. Take it from me if it's possible because the intense pressure was so great 
But Jesus did it. He became the curse so that the blessing would come upon you. And so when you go to work tomorrow morning and you're thinking, oh, great, another day. Man, that's the wrong way to think. Man, you got to go out of your house. Thank you, Jesus, man. You paid the ultimate price for me, man. No way that I'm going to be upset today. I can shout for joy because the blessing is on me. It surrounded me. You paid the ultimate price, and I'm going to walk in it. And so, um, and then in Hebrews, it says, Jesus is our guarantee of a better covenant based on better promises. So you can read um, Deuteronomy, and you can read Numbers, and you can read all that, and just think, okay, better. It's better. It's better now. It's better now because Jesus paid the price. Now it's not based on what I can do or what I did. It's based on what Jesus did for me. So that's a whole different level. That's a whole different level level of blessing. And so these are just five of many witnesses. I gave you five witnesses that said the blessing is on you. So you can't deny it. We are the only ones that can reverse it. We cannot, we cannot deny the blessing. And so here's a few examples, and this is either by obedience or favor, God's blessing was upon them. So, um, and you can read these, I would encourage you if you want to, um, Ruth. Ruth became a widow, and, um, and during that time, um, after she became a widow, there wasn't a lot of opportunities for widows. There just wasn't. Because most people wanted to marry, in her age group, they wanted to marry a virgin, you know? They didn't want a, a widow. They wanted a virgin. And so there wasn't a lot of opportunities. So her mother-in-law, Naomi, said, um, you know, there was two of them. Naomi had two daughters. I don't remember the name of the one. And, um, but she didn't, um, doesn't matter as much as Ruth. <laughs> no, she probably does. She's in heaven. How dare you say that? <laughs> but, so... Anyway, Ruth was a widow. Her mother-in-law was Naomi. And Naomi said, you know, return to your own country, to your own people. You'll have a better chance. You'll have a better chance at life than if you hang with me because I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. And, and uh, you know, sad deal. I get it. You're a widow. But go back to your own country. You'll do better. But Naomi said, no, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go back to, to uh, Bethlehem with you. And it says there was a famine in the land, so what she would do is at night when all the reapers, you know, they would um, uh, sow or reap the, reap the harvest of the grain during the day, and at night when they were done, Ruth would go into the fields and pick up the scraps, and she did it faithfully. She went out every night, and she picked up the scraps in the field, and so one day she was noticed by the landowner, Boaz, and so he kept asking them, you know, hey, what's this lady doing out there? Is she crazy? You know, what is she doing walking around in my fields? And they said, oh, she's just picking up the scraps and, um, you know, just trying to survive. And uh, so he saw her, and he saw her faithfulness. And he probably saw that God's blessing was on her life. So he told the reapers, hey, leave a little behind. Every day when you go out, don't pick it all up. Dump some out on the ground. Leave some on the ground and, and, uh, for her to pick up. And, and she, so she did that. And then pretty soon, Boaz, he's, he was the landowner, and he was rich. He was, he was rich. And so, uh, so after that, he started noticing her. Oh, she's really pretty. And before you know it, 
they were married. And so God had a blessing on her life. And the thing about Ruth is she became the great-grandmother of David. She became the great-grandmother of David because the blessing was on her life. And um, she could have just went in obscurity, never heard from her again. It could have been the end of the story, but she didn't. She was faithful. And, uh, and the blessing was on her life. Solomon, another example. God asked him one night, he said, Solomon, what can I give you? And it says Solomon asked for wisdom instead of wealth. He asked for wisdom. He could have asked for anything because the creator of the universe asked him, hey, what do you want? What can I give you? And God said to him, because this was on your heart, and I'm going to read it in 2 Chronicles um, 112, it says, wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. He became the richest man to ever walk the face of the earth. He's, if, you, if you look in the translation of the Bible of how much he had, it was trillions of dollars. He could pay the national debt off just by writing a little pocket change. Um, Seriously, that's how rich he was. And, and you say, well, I'll take that with a grain of salt. No. The same riches, do you realize the same riches that are in the world today, all the riches in the world today, were back there. And God showed them where they were. And, and you can read it in Genesis. It said, he took them around and he said, oh, that river, check out that river. That's where all the gold is. Check that field out. That's a great, great field for planting. But the Pishon, I think it's called, that's where the gold is. So the same riches that were in the world when God created it are in the world today. And so if you don't think, read the wealth that Solomon had, and it was all because his heart was right towards God, and the blessing was on him. God blessed him because his heart was right. The blessing was on him. Peter. Um, Jesus borrowed Peter's boat to preach from. And... After he was done, he told Peter to let down your nets. He said, let down your nets for a catch. Thanks for letting me borrow your boat. Go ahead and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter said, Lord, we've toiled. The word he used was toiled. We've toiled all night. We've worked hard all night trying to catch fish, and we haven't caught a lousy fish. And the morning is not the time to catch fish, but he said, okay, Lord, at your word, I will let down my nets. And he said, we toiled all night. What does Proverbs 10, 22 said? The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow. Other translations say heavy toil. That's the curse. Heavy toil is the curse. When, you got, when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, you can read about it. It said, now um, you're going to have to deal with all the thorns, and with heavy toil, you're going to reap a harvest. It's going to take hard work. Um, where before, it was a blessing, and it was just the blessing. So... Peter said, at your word, I'll let down the net. And they filled two boats with fish. From that moment, Peter went from the curse to the blessing. He went from toil all night to the blessing. I mean, I can imagine fish were just jumping in the net. Fish were just jumping in the boat. And it didn't take him long at all. He had two boats full of fish. The blessing was on Peter. The next person I'm going to talk about is a business associate that I had um, years back. And he was an Israeli citizen um, that came to the America. He came to Las Vegas um, because he, had, he was an engineer. And 
and he engineered, I don't know if you've heard about bifold doors, exterior bifold doors, opening glass walls. Um, they're really big in California. They're really big here now, but um, you know, they're massive doors that you can slide in one direction like your bifold closet door, and um, they're really expensive. They're like you know, $1,500, $1,800 a foot. And so he was an engineer, and so he came up with um, a really slick design of bifold doors, and we were, um, you know, having Aspen and Vail, um, we were starting to sell a lot of them, so he, he tried to find out, you know, um, where he could get some business contacts and start selling these doors. And so he actually got a hold of us, and he said, hey, I'd like to invite you out to Las Vegas to see my operation, and I would like you to start distributing these doors. And, um, you know, since you're buying them directly through us, um, you know, middleman and all that, you guys can make, it, it can be very advantageous financially for both of us. So we went out there um, to tour his, um, his manufacturing facility and... Uh, <coughs> <coughs> Whoa, that was loud. <laughs> <coughs> Magnified, sorry. <laughs> 19 minutes. <laughs> My voice has to last 19 minutes. <laughs> So, Avi. So we went to Las Vegas, and so we, he took us out to dinner. We looked at his plant, and, and he saw his stuff and, at dinner. So I asked him, you know, we were sitting next to each other, and I asked him, um, you know, are you glad to be in the United States at that time? As you know, a lot of times when you think of Israel, you think of terrorism, right? If you think of the Gaza Strip and um, Palestine and all that stuff, you're thinking, well, there's a lot of terrorism there. And they hate each other, and Israel is surrounded by enemies, and and things happen all the time. And so I kind of asked him in that vein, you know, are you glad to be here and not over there? Um, and, um, and he said, uh, um, I'm only here because of the opportunity. I'm only here in America because of the opportunity. Given a choice, I would be back in Israel in a heartbeat. I'm only here because of the opportunity. And there is greater opportunity here than anywhere else in the world. He's, he was an engineer, and he had the money to go into Europe, to Italy, France, all Germany, all those places, and, and distribute and, and manufacture and distribute these doors. But he chose America because he saw greater opportunity here than anywhere else in the world. And um, he said, uh, and, and so um, we're, we're talking about it a little bit more, and we were actually there for a couple days, so... Um, the next day, he even brought it up. He said, you know what? You people, Americans, you don't understand covenant. You just don't understand covenant. To you, a covenant is like a contract. You know, you can break it, and you can have your lawyers deal with it. You can walk away from it. But, so you don't understand covenant. Covenant can't be broken. It's, it's blood. And you can't break a covenant. And and that's been ingrained in me since I was a little kid, and I'm ingraining it in, in my daughters. He had two daughters. And he said, covenant has been in my covenant with God, and, he, you know, he's, he's Jewish. And my covenant with God is, is it's, I'm bound by it. I'm just bound by it. And it's, you know, and so when, when God says I'm protected, that's just, I don't, I don't give a second thought to it because I'm protected. Because covenant 
is so strong and it's been ingrained in him. He doesn't, he sees the world through covenant. So in America, he kept saying, you guys don't understand it because every time there's a hardship, you run away. Every time there's a hardship, you back off. And it's so easy to get out. If you tell, if, if I told a banker, I will have a check for you Monday morning on your desk, I would have a check Monday morning on his desk. There, you don't break your word. That is how strong covenant is for him in Israel. That, that's his culture, that covenant was so strong that it was unbreakable. And, you know, we read God's word, and that's, this is our covenant. This is our covenant with God, and yet we pass it off. We look at it like, oh, yeah, right. I'll speak to that mountain. Yeah. And we don't understand it the way he looked at it. He looked at it, like I said before, as the absolute truth. He didn't waver one bit, not one bit. He never wavered. But he said, you guys don't understand it. And so that's why there's so much opportunity here because where you guys see the, see the mountains, we see opportunity because of our covenant. Our covenant is so strong. We see opportunity everywhere. And you guys will leave it. And will you leave, opportunity is where you find it. So, and, and he was kind of saying this a little bit because he was an engineer and he was pretty cocky. But he was saying it a little bit to shame us, you know. You guys run away from this stuff. You guys, you guys run away from a gold mine because, oh, wow, it's hard. And, and <laughs> he didn't see the hardships. He saw the opportunity. He saw um, what he could become and what his business would become. And his fear of God he, I mean, basically, it's what he said. His fear of God is, is greater than his fear of terrorism. His fear of God is greater than his fear of terrorism. And when I say his fear of God, it means his awe, his awe of God. He, he looked at God like, there's no way God would ever let me be bombed. There is no way. And um, so if you have that kind of faith, you know, he didn't get bombed. <laughs> you know, and... Uh, you know, the border situation right now is front and center. And those people at the border, they see opportunity. They're starving and dying in their country. They're getting killed. There's all this stuff going on. They're willing to die at the border to have what we have, to have what all of us have, because they see it in a whole different light. Their vision is totally different. They see the land of opportunity. They say, they see, wow. I can feed my family. I can make a life for myself. I can make a, le uh, a legacy for myself. I can make a life for my family. You know, they're looking at the blessing where sometimes, unfortunately, we look at the curse. We look at it as, you know, as we do. So an unfailing combination here is a vision of the blessing on your life, to have a vision, to see a mental image of the blessing. And it's different for each and every one of us. Blessings coming upon you and overtake you. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? What does that mean? It means something different, but we have to see it. We have to see the blessing, and we have to see it coming in and going out, um, above and not beneath. We need to see it as God sees it, as a covenant, that it can never be broken. It cannot be broken because it is so strong. And so, um, so how do you see... 2023 playing out. Um, you know, it's different for each and every person here, but do you see it how the leading economists see it? That 
oh, we could be having, heading into a recession. You know, inflation's as high as it's ever been. Interest rates are higher. And all that is going to result in a slowdown in the economy. Is that how you see it? Because that's what's ingrained to us right now in the news every day. That is what the world is telling us right now, is that we are heading uh, in, in the wrong direction. But do you see it as God sees it? That um, this is my year. This is my year. You know what? Maybe I don't like the industry that I'm in right now, and I've always dreamed of, an, uh, of being in a different place, a different business, a different opportunity. Well, maybe this is your year to do that. Maybe if there's a slowdown in one area, God will open a door in another area. But you got to see it. You have to see it. And you have to have that, create that mental, um, mental image of, wow, this is the time. This is my year. This is my year to fulfill my destiny. And what would it be if, if God told you today, I'm going to do whatever you ask, and I'm going to do exceedingly abundantly everything you ask. I'm going to do exceedingly abundantly. If God just sat down and in the flesh, I'm going to do exceedingly abundantly, what would it be? I will guarantee you it's more than what you're thinking right now that I'm talking about. If God said, but that's what he said. That's what God is telling you through his word. I'll do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think. What will you ask and think for? What, what would you ask and think God to do for you? And uh, so why, you know, we just read Ephesians 3. I'll, I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly. So create an image. God showed Abraham descendants outnumbering the stars. So the blessing became their turning point in each of these posts people. Ruth, her turning point, she married Boaz and they eventually became the great-grandmother of David. The lineage in history, it'll go on forever until Jesus comes. Solomon, the richest man who ever walked the face of the earth, that became his turning point. Uh, up until then, you know, Solomon did great things, but man, all of a sudden that God says, okay, I'm going to make you the richest man that ever walked on the earth, that's a turning point. That is a turning point, and you can't deny it. Peter, um, he, he said, Lord, depart from me, man. I'm a sinful man. He saw something. He saw something. He saw that it was his turning point. When he saw, he followed Jesus the rest of the time. He had a few hiccups along the road. But, man, he finished strong. He finished strong. And then um, the guy was talking about Avi. The blessing, that was his turning point. His opportunity to come to the United States as an engineer and, and start manufacturing, that was a turning point for him and his family. Um, not long after that, he sold the business, made a ton, a ton of money, and moved back to Israel. And it became his turning point. The blessing became his turning point. So what's your turning point going to be? Pastor Mark has talked about, you know, your turning point. Um, and, and the blessing can become your turning point. And... So the last thing that we are going to talk about is um, restoration. And, um, you know, I, I didn't write this down because I taught faster than I thought my notes would go. <laughs> so they didn't go quite as far. But in Isaiah, God said, he said, put me in remembrance and let us contend together. Put, put me in remembrance of my word and let us talk about it. Let us, um, 
Put me in remembrance. Let me see here. When is it? In um, Isaiah 43 and verse 26, God said, put me in remembrance and let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. And he's talking a little bit about forgiveness here. But when we all stand before God, do you think one of the questions he might ask is, why didn't you believe me? Why didn't you believe me? And he shows us this movie of everything that we could have become. Because he wrote a book. The Bible says he wrote a book about you. And, and he, he wrote this book about everything, your whole destiny. And at the end of it, when you're facing him, and he shows us this movie. And he says, why did you not believe me? And so, might as well get it out now, right? <laughs> might as well get it figured out now. So, he said in, in Jeremiah, he said, uh, um, he said, I'll restore to you. First of all, um, we looked at this the other day also in, um, in Isaiah. He said, you know, the former things are past. They're in the past. The former things are in the past. You got you to let the past go. And um, for the sake of time here, um, it's in... Um, Um, I'll find it really quick. He said, he basically said, let, let the past go. You got to let the past go. The past is in the past, so you, you got to let it go. And then, um, but then they were saying, but Lord, you know, we've, we've lost. We've had all these losses and all this kind of stuff. And he says, you know what? You've had losses. You've been drugged through the dirt. Your enemies has trampled over you, yet not one of you says Restore. Not one of you comes to me and asks me to restore your losses. So why is that? And so in Jeremiah, he said, um, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, I'm going to restore all of your losses. I'm going to restore the years that the, um, and he said, the swarming locusts, the consuming locusts. Um, um, I'll restore to you all those. And, um, but you could look at it like this. God said, Restore. Say restore. I'm going to restore to you everything the pandemic took from you. I'm going to take everything bad business um, situations took from you. I'm going to take everything inflation has taken from you. I'm going to take everything bad economy has taken from you. And he said, I will restore. I will restore. So God says, say restore. And so we're going um, to stand up here and... You know, maybe you want to come to the front. Maybe you want to do it at your seat. But we're just going to pray. And we're just going to command. And we're just going to believe God that he'll restore. Whatever your losses are, when we're praying, you put those losses before God. You put them before God. And, you know, I can remember, uh, I'll tell you, um, you know, when, when uh, and it still just bugs me. <laughs> I can tell you. Um, back in, uh, I think it was 2008 when the last recession was, our, our 401 just tanked, and, um, you know, I lost um, tens of thousands of dollars, and I was so mad about it because I had a guy that was supposed to be helping me out looking at it, and, and you know, I'm not, I'm not blaming him now because it happened, and it, it's in the past, but, you know, if I would have had the wisdom to take it out, um, 
and, and just hold on to it. And then when the economy tanked, put, put it back in. Instead of losing it tens of thousands of dollars, I would have made tens of thousands of dollars. And so that still bothers me that I lost that money. And so when, when I started reading this this year, and God said, but you've never said restore. You've never said restore. You just read in Jeremiah that I'll restore to you the years that the locusts are the consuming locusts and the, um, all the different locusts stole from you, but you've never asked. You've never asked for it back. And in Proverbs, it says when a thief steals, he's got to pay double, or he's got to pay seven times. If a, if a thief is found out, he's got to pay seven times. Um, and in Job, it said um, when Job prayed for his friends, God restored his losses double. He restored his losses double. And so that's what we're going to believe for. That's what we're going to pray. That's what we're going to ask God for. That's what we're going to declare. And like I say, we're going to, God said he'll restore. He'll restore relationship. He'll restore his years of um, whatever sickness or disease has robbed from you. He's going to restore, um, you know, finances that have been um, lost relationships lost, we're going to say restore. So whether you want to come up to the front, whether you want to just sit at your seats, we're going to say restore. So let's just raise our hands for a second and just praise God. Let's just, Father God, we praise you. We thank you so much, Lord. Oh, we thank you for your word, Lord. Your word, we take your word tonight. And for here on out, Lord, we take your word as the absolute truth. Your word is the absolute Absolute truth. It is the final authority, and if you say you will restore our losses, you're going to restore our losses, and we thank you, and we say restore. We declare restoration over financial losses, business losses, investments, bad investments, losses from marriage, bad marriages, divorces, losses from sickness, disease, whatever it is, Lord, and I pray each and every person here would Bring that to you right, right now. Bring those to your attention, Lord, and we say restore. We say restore. We call those losses restore. We call, we ask you, we, we declare that those losses are brought back to us. And this year, Lord, this year will be the turning point. This year will be the year of Jubilee. This year will be our year. We are debt-free Lord, losses are restored, incomes are restored, health is restored, hallelujah. Everything that the devil has stolen, we declare it restored sevenfold. Sevenfold, Lord, we declare it, we thank you for it, we honor you for it, we say restore. Thank you, Lord, we thank you. And I thank you, Lord, as we go out tonight, that we'll be reminded of the blessing that you've commanded on our lives. You commanded the blessing on our lives, on us, on our storehouses, on, on our everything that our banks, our 401ks, all our investments, you declared a blessing on them. Everything we put our hand to will prosper. And so we know if everything we put our hand to will prosper, we don't have any fear of going out and do something that you've told us to do. Whatever the occasion demands, We'll do it. We'll put our hand to it. As Pastor Mark said, whatever the occasion demands, we'll put our hand to it. Because you said you'll bless all the work of our hand. 
all the work, whether it's a boldness to lay our hands on the sick, whether it's a business opportunity, whatever we put our hand to, whatever we put our hand to, it will prosper. And you will bless us in the land that you were given us. And I know, Lord, you're giving us this land. You're giving us Glenwood Springs. You're giving us Silt, Newcastle, Eagle, um, Rifle, Hallelujah, Glenwood, um, Carbondale, Basalt, Elgerbell. If I'm forgetting, Lord, all-inclusive. You're giving us this land, and it is a good land. It is a good land, and we're going to see the glory of God. We're going to see you move, Lord, like we've never seen you move before because we say move. We say, Lord, move. This year, we're going to see you move, Lord, because we're saying move. Hallelujah. Move through each and every person here, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for each and every person here, the boldness and their faithfulness. Every person here, we just thank you for, Lord. We lift up. And we thank you for their faithfulness. We thank that you've called them here. Each person here, each person in the sound of my voice, each person watching online, you've called them. You've called them here for such a time as this. And Lord, we say move through us. Move through us so we will see the glory of God. We say move and we say restore. Restore those losses. And just like, just like Isaac, that he sowed in the land, reaped in the same year, hundredfold, and he was blessed so much that the Philistines envied him. Lord, I declare the world is going to envy New Creation Church. The world will envy New Creation Church because they will see the blessing on them. You'll see the blessing on us, the blessing that cannot be denied. It's commanded. It's a commandment by you, so it can't be reversed. They will see the blessing, and they will be envious. They'll want what we have. Hallelujah. They want what you've brought here to Pastor Mark and Tasha. They will want. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We give you all the praise, all the glory. Oh, thank you that you've called us, Lord. You've called us for such a time as this. You've called us, as Pastor Mark said this morning, Lord, that we'll get before you tomorrow and we'll say, Jesus, what do you think of me? Lord, you called us. You called us to have that intimate time with you, to have that relationship with you that we can sit down and we can ask, Lord, what do you think of us? What do you think of me? Hallelujah. What do you think of me? Oh, and Lord, we'll come out stronger. We'll come out victorious. We'll come out with a boldness that we've never had before. We'll have an image, Lord, that we can do whatever you've called us to do. And I thank you. I praise you. We give you all the glory. You're such a good God. You are such a good God. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. You are such a good God. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for calling each and every one of us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Well, thank you guys all for coming. And um, I think Pastor Tasha is going to um, look at that zero. 